This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Today we conclude our series about the church, learning from the New Testament about the way that we were designed to worship the Lord together. We've talked through this series about how we're called out from society to gather together and worship the Lord, how we're commissioned to carry with us the gospel message of Jesus Christ, how we've been equipped and we continually are equipped as we gather together to serve and to do ministry, how as a church we are called to be active, contributing together. And today we're going to talk about how we are united, how we were made to, to exist in community together as one, as one body, as one family. And we're going to begin by reading from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, uh, in verse 12. If you have a Bible and you want to turn with me, I'd encourage you to do so. The words will be on the screen. If you have a phone or tablet and you want to use the Version app, you can search under events for Parkview Finley, and you'll find scripture and sermon notes there as well. Let's read together Colossians, chapter 3, beginning verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, as we step into this passage from Colossians, we want to think in terms of what Paul has been been saying to this church. He has been calling on them to live in their new life in Christ, to fully engage in what this new life means for them. And he had spent the last verses prior to this talking to them about the, the danger of sin and the temptation that would draw them into sin. And he said, you know, put your hearts and minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then he stepped into this passage saying, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, remember who you are. In Christ, set apart, devoted to the Lord, loved by God. And then he reminded them of the importance of unity and, and described to them how unity is produced through the right attitude. He said, in fact, this is an attitude that you can begin to put on as you clothe yourselves, as you put on kindness, as you put on gentleness and compassion. Get dressed in humility. Be patient. These are kind of virtues that begin within, that are uh, a matter of the heart, but that are clearly seen, that are expressed in the context of relationships, and that we, we see the evidence of what's in our hearts by the way that we treat one another. If we have these virtues displayed in our relationships. Now, these virtues very much are a reflection of what the Holy Spirit is developing within us in our hearts. And we recognize how he works in us to build these virtues, how he works in us to continually draw us closer to him and, and improve the quality of our spiritual lives and the relationships that we have together. And we recognize our need to allow the Spirit to help us grow in these areas, especially as we understand 
our own weaknesses. Now, maybe you have a certain giftedness in, in terms of what these virtues are. Maybe you find it very easy to be kind toward other people. You're, you're a very generous person. You're thinking of the needs of others, and you, you just naturally express kindness. But then we get through the list, and we think about like humility and patience. And we think about, about those weaknesses that come up, the, the, those difficulties that we have in life, truly living in these virtues. And we recognize the need that we have to allow the Spirit to, to develop us beyond what we're naturally capable of, to, to help us grow in areas that we struggle with. And I want to I warn you, caution you, about this process, as you, as you recognize your weaknesses, as, you, as you, you pray about these areas where you need to grow and you invite God to help you develop these virtues, that God works in a variety of ways, building our lives, developing these virtues in us, and they're not always easy and comfortable. Sometimes the way God works in us is, is difficult and, and uncomfortable. Now, there, there are some times when we recognize our need to grow uh, in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of a, an argument, uh, a difficult situation, and we say, oh, God, help me. I, I need more patience right now because I'm tempted to act on some of the impulses that I have, and I know that I need patience. Will you please help me handle this well? And you find in those moments that God supplies what you lack, that God meets you there providing what you need. You come out of that situation and say, wow. That went really well. I, I think I need to grow in this area. And so you begin to pray, God, help me, help me learn to become more patient all the time. Here's the warning. When you pray about having God develop you, grow these kind of virtues in your life, God will do it. But it's been my experience that he will do it in a painful way. That This is like the training montage of the movies where you're going to get put through the ringer. As you pray, God, help me develop patience, you will find yourself suddenly in these difficult situations where he is stretching your patience to the breaking point. And you may succeed. You may fail. That, that particular moment may go well or it may not, but you'll learn through the process your capacity in patience, in one of these virtues. You'll learn the limits of what you already have. And as you surrender those moments to the Lord and ask him to keep building you, you'll find in, in a few days or a few weeks, you'll, you'll be in another one of those situations where God is stretching your patience. But you'll notice that you're stretching farther than you did the first time. And your breaking point seems to be further away. God is increasing your capacity in these virtues, helping you grow, helping you develop. And the process of that is sometimes a very painful process, sometimes a difficult thing for you to endure as God's molds you and shapes you and stretches you into the, the, the capacity for these virtues that you long to have, not just for your own sake, not just because it's good for you, but because it's a blessing to the church. And, and it's a benefit in terms of unity when we gather together and worship together. And Paul tells us that these virtues build our lives, but they also bless the church. And he helps us to recognize in the next few phrases how important these are. He says you need to bear with one another and forgive one another grievances in the same way that God has forgiven you. And we can conclude from this statement, Paul saying, as you learn to grow in, in these virtues, as you develop your heart, bear with one another. <laughs> when we gather together, when we're in close proximity with other people, we recognize their imperfections. We recognize the rough edges around their lives. And they recognize our imperfections and the rough edges around our lives. And when those rough edges are in close proximity with one another, another it's, it's a painful process as 
we experience the abrasiveness of being in close proximity, as those rough edges knock against each other, and, and it's uncomfortable. And we recognize how much work it actually takes to bear with one another and grow together in unity. There are things that are going to be difficult to endure, things that are going to be offensive to you. There are going to be moments when you're offended by the way other people treat you, where you're going to feel like you've been wronged. And Paul says, you need to bear with one another through those moments. And you need to be willing to forgive those grievances. Not because it's the right thing to do. It is. Not because it's beneficial to the church. It is. But more importantly, you need to be willing to forgive because you know what it's like to be forgiven. And he calls us to recognize the difficulty of those moments. And to remember the freedom that we found when we accepted Christ and the grace that he extends to us by his blood. To remember the peace that filled our lives when we felt the burden of that sin lifted off of us, when we were forgiven by God. And we need to be willing to extend that same kind of forgiveness into the lives of other people, to free them from the burden, to provide peace in their lives as we choose to bear with them and to express forgiveness. Now, that's a difficult thing for us. In our relationships, most of us have a bucket that we carry. A bucket that gets weighed down with all the difficulties that, that come up in our relationships. And we, we get frustrated with people. And we remember the things that they do. And we put those in our, our buckets. We'll just call this a grudge bucket. We, we, we get offended by the things that they say to us or the things that they do. And we, we just toss that in the grudge bucket. And it gets heavy. And it weighs us down. We feel like sometimes that people do wrong to us, and it hurts, and we put those in our grudge bucket. And then we just carry those grudges with us. And when we see people coming, we see them from, you know, when we come into church, cross the foyer in the great room, and we see them coming, we think, you know what? I've got something in my, in my bucket for you. And we replay those moments of pain. We replay those grievances, those, those offenses, those hurts. They come back very clearly. And we think, well, you're not getting a smile from me today because my grudge bucket's full and it's full because of you. I'm not, I'm not going to have a, a pleasant conversation with you today. No. And we focus so much on the pain of our past experiences that we, we don't allow that other person to become anything more than a person who hurt us. And we hold these grievances between us in relationships, refusing to connect, to rebuild those bridges of trust, to, to grow together in unity because we're so focused on the pain of the past. What Paul is saying is, instead of letting these things ruin your life and your friendships, your relationships together, surrender them to the Lord and live in this state of forgiveness, recognizing that the people around you are worthy of that forgiveness. That the people around you are worthy to receive forgiveness from you. Why? Not because you're good enough, but because God has deemed them worthy of forgiveness, and you should too. God, who has forgiven you all of your sins, has also forgiven them of their sins, and we stand before the Lord equally forgiven. And so when we look at people and we think about the pain and the hurt and the offense between us, what we need to do is be willing to extend grace and forgiveness in those relationships so that we can come together in unity as the church. This is possible 
because of the demonstration of love that God has given us. Because love is what Paul says we should wrap all these virtues up in. As we've been putting them on like clothes, he says, over all of them put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. This outer cloak that keeps them all closely knit around us. This outer cloak that people see in us when they see us from across the room. They recognize the love of God surrounding us that we're willing to extend into their lives. And not only is this love a perfect bond that holds those virtues together, it's the perfect bond that holds us together in unity. In our relationships, love is the thing that that keeps us together, that addresses our hearts as we take on these virtues, that addresses our relationships as we grow connected to the people around us, not just sitting in the same room for a sermon and a time of worship, but truly being a family truly being the body of Christ, built together in love and unity. And when that happens, when we're willing to surrender to God, we're willing to let him build our relationships, the peace of God will rule in our hearts. We will feel that feeling, and it will lift us up. But we have to let that peace in. We have to open our lives to it. We have to be willing to let God work in us, developing these virtues, building our relationships so that his peace will fill our lives. Peace is the product of looking outward and not inward, of considering the wants and needs of others instead of focusing on our own desires. Peace is what comes through unity as we surrender those relationships to the Lord. And as we grow in peace of God, it brings us to a place of gratitude where we can thank God for what he's doing in us. And Paul concludes these thoughts with a reminder that we should We should be devoted together to the message of Christ, to worshiping him, to living for the Lord, to to standing together as one, to lifting our voices together as one in worship of him. Now, our goal as the church is to stand united before the Lord. The goal of Satan is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will go to great lengths to tear us apart as a church. He will go to great lengths to destroy our relationships, to create frustration among us, to create tension and animosity so that when we gather together, it's not unity and love, but it's discord. That's his goal. And we have to be careful and cautious and aware of his work and choose instead to be so dedicated to these virtues, so dedicated to to living in the love of Christ, to, to building unity between us that we are willing to set aside our grudges, to set aside the offenses that we feel have been done to us, to set those things aside so that we can worship God with nothing standing in the way of our relationships, so that we can worship God with a clear conscience, with the peace of God ruling in our hearts. Paul is calling us to recognize the value of what that means to us as a body, of how it produces growth in our faith and in our lives together as we stand as one and worship him. It's a similar message that he had for the church in Ephesus. If you want to turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, here's what Paul said. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now notice Paul uses the same virtues here, recognizing the value that they bring to our lives and in our relationships. 
reminding us the church needs to have the right attitude as we approach this idea of unity. But then he reminded the believers there in Ephesus to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity isn't effortless. It doesn't just happen. Unity is the product of our collective effort, our collective focus to worship God and put the needs of others before our own. He calls each of us to draw on the power of the Spirit to build our lives, to build these virtues in our lives and express them in our relationships. Unity is not only destroyed by malicious behavior, it's also torn apart by our own inactivity. When we ignore moments to build relationships, when we ignore moments to, to restore relationships, when we let people walk by without, without reaching out and connecting with them, we are slowly deteriorating, weakening that idea of unity. It's crucial to us as the church. Unity is the example that we have from the Lord of, of living together, of worshiping Him. The idea of unity comes from God Himself. That God exists in three persons united as one. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit together as one is the example he provides to us. Even from the beginning of the Bible in the opening pages of the description of creation. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. God didn't say, let me make man in my image. He said, let us make man in our image, recognizing the presence of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together, working in perfect unity. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, John began his gospel, and throughout his gospel was focused on the validity of Jesus and his identity as the Messiah, the Son of God and God in the flesh. And even from the first verse of his gospel was pointing to this idea of Jesus as God saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that Jesus was present there. It is this one Spirit that's provided to us by God, this Spirit that indwells all believers, uniting us as one. We have one faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're one body of believers in him as we share in one hope because of his sacrifice. We share in one baptism. We're cared for by one God who is over all and in all and through all. This example from God reminds us of, of the value of being united in worship, in service, as a church, the body of Christ. And that's the example that Paul provided to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the church is a body. Each one of us as a part of that body serving God and worshiping Him. Beginning in verse 12, he writes these words, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot save the hand. I don't need you. 
and the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And unity depends on each of us. Unity is maintained through our active involvement. Now, last week we talked a lot about being active together as a church. Today I want to focus on two very specific actions that we need to keep in mind. The first is participation. That as members of the body of Christ, we each have a role to play. And we need to be actively participating together as the body of Christ, functioning and active. And as we give our time and our energy and our talents together, it's important for us to recognize the diversity of all of us who gather together as the body of Christ. Each one of us is made uniquely, uniquely suited to a specific task, uniquely gifted in a specific way. And there are no two of us that are the same. Sure, we may have similarities. We may share the same sense of humor with somebody. We may share a, a perspective about life and and the world with another person. We may, we may like to do the same kinds of things as another person. We may really enjoy spending time together. But there are no two of us that are the same. We all have our own specific perspective, and we can never do the same thing in the same way. And God is preparing each of us to take our place in his body, in the body of Christ, to work calling each of us to be faithful with what he's given us to support the body in a way that no one else can for the success of his church, for the unity that comes when we're all actively participating together. And we recognize when one part of the body isn't active, it means the rest of the body has to compensate for that inactivity. We talked last week about you know, what happens when you, your arm is broken, it's in a cast. The difficulty that comes from having to compensate for that limitation and the change that takes place in your arm. You know, there are other, other times where we recognize limitations in our body. There have, been, there have been a couple of times in my life where I, I stood up, having been seated for too long, and realized that both of my feet were completely asleep. No feeling at all whatsoever. And as I stood up, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to keep my balance and grab onto the wall and, and try and move forward. And, and as I went to take a step, I couldn't feel that my toe was dragging. I almost twisted an ankle because I went to put my weight back down on that foot and my, my foot wasn't flat on the ground, but I didn't know it because it was absolutely asleep. I leaned on the wall in the doorway and made my way out of the room. And then that painful sensation of pins and needles set in and I was absolutely incapacitated. Just lay down, let it happen. It's the best way to get through it. And my whole body had to compensate for that. I had, to, I had to literally put my eyes on my feet and make sure they were moving in the right way. Pick one up, move it forward, set it down. I don't usually think about walking. When I, when I move from one place to the other, it, it just happens. It's automatic. But when my feet weren't working, when I had no sensation, I had to compensate for that lack with the rest of my body. And it changed the way that I behaved for a certain amount of time. My whole body had to take up the slack 
that my lower extremities left behind. As the body of Christ, we feel the burden, we feel the need to make up for those times when there's parts of our body that are inactive. And when we individually have a time that we, we know that we have a place where we could serve, but we have a lot of excuses and reasons why we can't, the rest of the body has to take up the slack for those moments when we aren't being active, for those, those times in our lives where we feel like we, we need to, to take a break and take a rest. Those places that we once fulfilled, we've left a hole, a place in the body that's no longer active, and the rest of the body has to compensate for that. And because of our decisions, we limit the unity of the body of Christ. The second kind of action that we need to focus on, participation, is cooperation. While we're participating together, we need to be cooperating with one another. If we're going to use our gifts for the kingdom, we need to function cooperatively with the other parts of the body. What I can do on my own is limited. It's limited by my own creativity, my own power, my own circle of influence. But when we work together, we amplify our efforts, multiplying the impact that we could have had on our own. We have greater reach as we impact more people together. We're able to work harder and continue on, enduring beyond our limits as we combine our strength. We're able to work better as we encourage one another and enjoy the time that we spent together in service. We're able to be more effective and accomplish greater things as we utilize our strengths and depend on other people's strengths in our area's weaknesses. We notice that the places where we lack, someone else has a strength, and as we work together, we can carry each other through those moments of weakness encouraging one another towards success as we step in and fill in the gaps, caring for one another, carrying each other through. And as we work together, we learn and we grow. We develop our ability to use our talents. As we serve, we develop our strength. And we as a body become more effective, more useful, And even above all of those things, when we choose to participate, when we choose to cooperate, when we are actively involved together, we find a purpose for our lives that we can't find anywhere else. A purpose that we have in Christ, in service to his kingdom and to his church. A role, a place, a a sense of belonging in his body that we can find nowhere else in this world. That when we work together as one, we discover what God uniquely made us for. We find our place and our purpose in this kingdom. A little over a month ago, we were uh, in a different sermon series called Unforgettable. And you might remember that our, our elders and staff together came and, and talked about the passages from Scripture that were unforgettable to us that have made a significant impact in our lives. And Jerry Waldman, one of our elders, talked about this passage about the body of Christ and reminded us of a time in his life, talked to us about a time in his life, that, that he wondered what his gifts and talents were. He wondered how he could serve the church because when he looked at himself, he didn't see some of the, the talents that he saw other people using. And he re- as he read this passage about the body of Christ and every, every person being a part, contributing to the whole, he realized that God had made him uniquely gifted in areas that other people weren't. And that he, when he was faithful with his time and his energy and his talent, found his purpose in God and discovered meaning in his life that he had never seen before. This is the idea that we have when we build unity together as the body of Christ. That while we may not have spotlight talent, we have our place in the body. 
as we serve God, maybe we find recognition today. But the next week, we step back and let somebody else have the spotlight. And we serve alongside them, supporting them and caring for them as we together accomplish the ministry that God has for us as a church. It is crucial to our faith and our lives together as a body of Christ that we work toward unity, that we build this connection of love that we have together. This is God's intention for us as his church, as his family, as his body of believers together, that we would work together, love one another, and support one another in service to his kingdom and worship of his name. It's such a significant part of our lives together. We find instructions throughout scripture about building unity together as a church. We also find that Jesus prayed for our unity. As he was preparing to go to the cross, he spoke to his disciples, began praying for them and praying for all those who would believe in him through their work. And that's us. And he prayed specifically for us that we would be united in his name. Here's what he said in John chapter 17, beginning of verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It was Christ's prayer that our lives would be a representation of his love and that when we as a church would stand united, when we would not let anything come between us as believers, when we would stand in perfect unity together, that we would be the validation of his identity, that he truly is the son of God, that we believe in him so much, that we have experienced his forgiveness and grace and has meant so much to us that we are willing to live a life separate from the world, distinctly different, a life full of love, a life where our relationships become an image of his love, that the world around us would look at us and see how much our lives have been changed because of our belief in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. That was his desire for us as a church, as believers in him, that we would let nothing keep us from sharing love together and worshiping him in perfect unity and harmony. And today, as we conclude our series and our sermon, I wanna, I wanna challenge you to think about where you are in terms of your relationship with Christ. That understanding that this unity comes from belonging to Christ. And the first and most important step is to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, be baptized in his name. And then for each of us to recognize the challenge that comes after that, to live for unity and work toward the unity of the body of Christ. And so I want to challenge you personally to think about what God is laying on your heart today. And I don't know for you specifically what what God is, is calling you to but I want to challenge you with a couple of specific things that you would work personally toward unity, either by recognizing a relationship in your life that needs to be restored, a relationship between you and another believer, maybe even here at the church, that you know has a lot of tension in it right now, that you know there's a, a pain from the past that needs to be resolved. I want to challenge you to, to, to begin a conversation with somebody here at the church that you know you need to have to begin building those bridges back, to building the trust in your relationship, be working toward unity, beginning with just one relationship. Uh, maybe for you, the challenge is that you know that you could be serving and supporting the body of Christ and working cooperatively with those around you. And I wanna, I wanna challenge you and encourage you 
to not think about all the reasons why you can't, but to recognize the, the significance of why you should. To take your place among the rest of the parts of the body and build unity here at Parkview by supporting and encouraging and working alongside the rest of the members of the body of Christ. This morning, if you have a decision to make about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if there's anything in your life you need prayer for, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing together. Please stand.